Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. All right, Revelation chapter number 22. We are in the final chapter of Revelation today, and uh, we'll have a few sermons in this chapter, but we are nearing the end of this series, and uh, here in short order, we'll start a new series called Practicing the Practices, looking at the the spiritual disciplines of Jesus when he was here on earth and trying to model those and take those and incorporate them into our own lives. And I'm excited about that. That'll last us through uh, September and October, and it'll be a lot of fun to study those. But before we get there, we have this final chapter of Revelation today, and I want to read the first five verses. We will get through part of them Uh, We're going to save part of them for next week as well, because there's a lot here that is so juicy and so good, and I want us to try to understand a little bit more about heaven if we can. So, Revelation 22, look at verse number one if you would. John says, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits. And yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever." We saw in chapter number 20 that we get new resurrected bodies. We saw in chapter number 21 that there is a new heaven and a new earth. And in the center of this new earth is this new capital city called New Jerusalem. We learned a lot about New Jerusalem, right? We saw the dimensions of the city was 1,400 miles uh, cubed. And to put it into perspective, 1,400 miles would be, if you put it in the center of America, from Canada to Mexico, and from the Appalachian Mountains all the way out to the coast of California. I mean, that's a, that's a big chunk of real estate is this new city. And we learned all about this new city and the, and the gyms and the streets. And it is this metropolitan behemoth. And then you get into chapter number 22 and you continue to learn. But you learn not about how urban it is, but you begin to learn about nature that's inside of the city. And it tells you that there is this river of life, Right? And it's sure to note right away that this is a pollution-free river. It's crystal clear. And and how beautiful that is to us because we know that many of our major cities are built on the banks of rivers. But as the population increases, so too the pollution increases, right? And the rivers become dirty and nasty and something that you may want to fish in, maybe, but you don't want to swim in. You certainly don't want to drink the water. The rivers become nasty. I saw just here a couple weeks ago uh, in Three Rivers, Michigan, the St. Joseph's River, they announced that there was an accidental 500 million gallon spill of sewage into the river. And the health department said, uh, don't go by the river. Don't, 
swim in the river, don't kayak in the river, don't boat in the river, don't take your pets to the river, don't let your livestock feed from the river, don't fish, don't, stay away from the river because it's nasty, it's polluted. Not this river, right? The river of life that is clear as crystal with no pollution. And it tells you that it proceeds from the throne. How beautiful is that? This throne of God at the end of chapter number 20 that was where the judgment happened, right? The unregenerate are before God, and it's a source of terror to those people. But to those that know God, know a source of life. River flowing from this throne. I don't know if there will be gondolas that go up and down the river, but I like to think so. I like to think that the river will kind of uh, work its way and not just meander, but actually finger its way with little offshoots here and there all over this massive new Jerusalem, this river of life. And then you're told that there's also trees, right? And not just any old trees, there's the tree of life, which takes us back to Genesis in the garden. And multiple trees, it says, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river. And it tells you that this tree is in season every month. That it is blossoming monthly and it has 12 different fruits. I don't know if there's a different fruit for each different month. I don't know if there's 12 different fruits at once. I kind of like to think that they all come at once and you get to pick your poison. You know, it's like this vending machine of a fruit tree. But there's 12 fruits. I want you to humor me this morning. I want you to think of your favorite flavor of fruit, okay? And I want you to call out, let's see if we can maybe just manifest this one day in heaven or something. Call out what you, what you wish would be the flavor of one of the fruits on this tree, okay? You got, you got your flavor in your head? On the count of three, say your favorite fruit flavor. One, two, three. Yeah. I heard a lot of stuff. I heard a watermelon clear. I think I, think I heard a chocolate somewhere in there. <laughs> What will this be? I don't know. I'm hoping for jackfruit. I don't know if you've ever had jackfruit. Uh, I was in Vanuatu with Seth and Nicole Stokes, of our missionaries that are over there out of our church, and they had these trees, and growing on them were these jackfruit. I learned is what it's called. And they're a little smaller than a watermelon, but huge, and they're on the ground. They're, they're on the tree. And if you've ever eaten juicy fruit gum... The color of juicy fruit comes from the jackfruit, and the flavor of juicy fruit comes from the jackfruit. It tastes exactly like juicy fruit gum. And it, it's, it's really chewy, actually, as well. And it was, this, it was this amazing fruit. I didn't even know it existed. You can Google it later and check it out, or you can go on a mission trip to Vanuatu with us, and you can eat some jackfruit. But I hope that's one of them. I hope it's one of them. Here is this tree that is blossoming, it says. It says at the end of the verse that its leaves are for the healing of the nations. You say, what does that mean? No idea. Legitimately, I have no idea. I've read 20 different perspectives on what this means. Why is it the leaves and why is it not the fruit? What does it mean for the healing of the nations? We have glorified bodies. How do we need healing? Does that mean refreshing? There's all these different things. It's a mystery to me. I don't know how exactly this is going to work its way out, the leaves being for the healing of the nations. But here is this tree of life. Verse 6 tells us no need for LED bulbs, no need for candles, no need for flashlights, because God lights the way. Pat Smith, some 31 years ago, tried to depict 
this scene, and I think he did a, a great job. I'm sure it won't look exactly like this. It, it, I'm sure it'll be much better. But he tried to put together the, the river and the trees and the, and the street and the, and the light and how resplendent this city would be. And, and I think we actually have it to show to you, his picture of perhaps what the new Jerusalem would look like in this, this city with, with all of the glory of God shining. There it is. He puts the river in the middle of the street, actually, which could be a way to read the text. I don't know what it will all be like, but it'll be, it'll be awesome, you know, just to put something in your mind's eye of that place. But verses 3 and 4 are where I want to spend my time. Because we get this description for almost all of chapter number 21, the first part of chapter number 22, of what the city is. And we have dimensions and rivers and trees and jewels and foundations and gates and layers and all these sorts of things. And as much as I'm interested in what I will see, and what the city will be like. That's amazing. I am far more interested in what I will do. Okay, I'll get to see all of that, but I got eternity. What will I do? And this text tells you in verse number three, we will serve him. And in verse number four, it tells us we will see him. Now, we will do more than that. If you read through Revelation, we see that there's times we, where we will sing to him. We will rule and reign with him. Paul even says we'll judge angels. We'll bring our glory and honor into the city. That was chapter number 21. There's a lot that we will do, but this gives you two staples of what you would do in heaven, in your glorified body, in a new heaven and a new earth. What, what am I going to be up to? Well, you're going to serve him and you're going to see him face to face. This morning we're going to talk about serving him and next week we're going to talk about seeing him because I think they both warrant some attention and some press and what exactly this means. So first of all, we'll serve him. We will have jobs. We will work. We will serve. And I don't know if you caught this. We will serve how? Look at verse number three. The very first part, it tells you, we will serve him without the curse. You catch that? There shall be no more curse. And that is wonderfully rich, but you got to back up a step to understand it. This takes us back to Genesis and to the garden, right? Because when we're introduced to God in the pages of Scripture, we are introduced to a God who not only is working, but a God who is happy in his work. Right? It's not like in the beginning was God and he woke up from a long nap. That's not what it says, right? He got done with hibernation and thought that he would do something after sitting in the hammock. That's not what it says. God is creating. God is active. God with his words is making. And then when he makes, every day he steps back and he says, it's very good. What does he say? I like that, right? He is happy in his work. He's happy about his work. And then if that wasn't enough, God gets his hands dirty, as it were. He gets into the dust and he makes man in his own image. And even then God says that it is very good. And God in his perfection and his glory is happy in his work. And he makes for man, a man that hasn't sinned yet. He makes a paradise, a garden. And what does he do? He gives Adam a job first. Work itself is one of the good things. Precurse. 
Work is one of the good things. This is why there's, there's very few things more humanizing than working hard. When you work hard and you see a project to its completion and you get to step back and admire, okay, the house is constructed and we have the occupancy permit or the paper is done or whatever it is that you're working on, when you get to that point, there's something enriching and humanizing and life-giving about a hard day's work or a hard month's work. And Adam is created to work in the garden, but then something goes terribly wrong. Adam sins... And work is introduced, work has already been there. But now the curse is introduced to work, right? And now there is labor and toil and sweat. And now creation works against us as we try to work it. And it's no longer easy. And this makes sense of our relationship with work, right? Because on one hand, we love it. It is, it's this indisputable part of our humanity is that we, we can't live without it. We need to work. This is why, for example, if you look at the data on mental health and depression and those sorts of things, those who are not working always have worse mental health than those who are working, even if you hate your job. There's, we're, meant, we're meant to work. We are. We can't live without it. But at the same time, there is... There's the curse, and work zaps the life out of us, and we hate it sometimes, lots of times, right? Because it drains us, and it depletes us, and it's so rewarding, yet it's so hard. That's, that's our relationship with work. And because of that, now we have, to, we have to toil. Proverbs puts it this way, and I love the way Proverbs puts it. He that labors, labors for who? And he would be like, Jesus, for himself. Why? Because his mouth craves it of him. Solomon says, see that dude over there working? You know who he's working for? Himself. Why? He's hungry. He needs some money. What, what do you mean he's, he's working because he's hungry? He's, is he working because he feels fulfilled by the job? Nope, he just wants a paycheck. <laughs> he just wants food on the table. And that's, that's work sometimes, right? That sometimes work is drudgery. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's not fulfilling. Sometimes it is a job that is a means to an end. But that's our relationship with labor oftentimes, that now we're not always happy in our work. We just have to do it to survive. We just have to do it to get by. And I understand that some of you have been able to, over the course of time, line up your work with your passion and your proficiency, and now you're able to work in a, in a way that it's not drudgery all the time. And, and good for you. But some of you, especially if you're young, that's not the case. Like, before you find a job that you're passionate about, you just got to find a job that pays you. One that just puts food on the table. That's how it works. But we don't like that, right? We want to do what we're passionate about. We want to do what comes easy to us. Sometimes work is hard just because it never ends. And we wear out, right? It's like I... My to-do list didn't get tired at all. My to-do list just keeps growing. It's like my to-do list has muscles or something, you know. But I get tired. Ever been those days where you, you put more on your list than you took off your list, even though you worked as hard as you could to take it off your list? And work, is, it seems never-ending to us and overwhelming to us sometimes. And so we do get overwhelmed and overloaded and overworked because I finally hit inbox zero and then somebody decided to email like a group of 87 people and they hit reply all. Now my inbox exploded again, right? 
Moms, you experience this because you do the laundry, and then the kids just have a way of chewing through like eight outfits during the summer. Like they just keep getting them dirty, or your little toddler, like we just got everything done, and then someone pushes a button on them, and it's like this release valve on their bowels, and they just, they puke everywhere, they diarrhea everywhere, and I have to do it all over again. It's like, it's work. But listen to this. This is depicting a future where we will work. We will serve. We will have jobs. More to come on that. But without the curse, right? Without the toil. We, like God and Adam who was first made in his image, we will be able to be happy in our work and serve him. You say, what will I do? Well, I don't know. But think about it. We've seen all through the book of Revelation, what have we seen? We've seen God. You may not have thought about it this way, but God delegating tasks to his servants so that they could go work on his behalf. Now, these servants had been ministering spirits. They've been angels, right? But there's all kinds of jobs throughout the book of Revelation that God divvied out to the angels. He told them, for example, to go deliver some messages. He told them to blow some trumpets. We saw angels singing, holy, holy, holy. We've seen angels be tasked with arresting Satan. That, I would have loved to have been like the bounty hunter angel who could have done that one, right? Like parole's up and, and you, I get to arrest you. That would have been a great one. We've seen all these jobs that God has been handing out. Don't get the idea that somehow now or in the future, everything will just happen by a miracle. Anything God wants done, he'll just speak it, it'll happen, it'll be miraculous, and that we'll just sit on our hands and we won't do anything. God could do everything by miracle, but he will choose to use both angels and his people, and we will get to serve him. And odds are you'll get to bring your talents to bear in these realms of service, right? When you get to heaven, you're not going to be omniscient. You know that? God knows everything. You don't. It's not like when you get to heaven, you suddenly now become God and you know everything. So if you don't know how to sow today, you're probably not going to know how to sow when you get to heaven. If you don't know how to paint today, you're probably not going to know how to paint. Now you may, if you have no instincts for art today, maybe you'll have some new instincts or something in your glorified body, but you're going to have to learn that stuff. But whatever you do already have, you'll probably get to bring those talents to bear. So, for example, if you love singing, maybe you'll be more a part of the heavenly choir than other people. We're all going to sing, we're all going to worship, but perhaps you'll sing a little more or you'll have, I don't know, they'll put a microphone in your hand and you'll get, you'll get to sing a little extra. Or maybe it's a megaphone or a shofar, I don't know what they're going to use, but um, you'll, get, you'll get to sing more. Perhaps if you like administration and you like being the boss, Paul says that we'll judge angels. I'm not sure I know exactly what all that means, but I'd like to think that perhaps it means that there'll be some people who are over angels in specific ways. Like, could you imagine that? Like, hey, I'm, I need you to get this job done. There's, there's part of the New Jerusalem. We haven't, we haven't constructed this little, this little part over here. We need you to do it. Well, can I have some help? Yeah, you get like 100 angels under you. You're, they're going to report to you. That'd be cool. You get to serve. You get to work. You say, how exactly does this play out? Don't know. But I know it means there's jobs. If you love the water, perhaps you'll be one of the gondola drivers on the river, and you'll just be giving people tours, you know, and showing them around. 
Apparently, Peter's greeting people at the gate, right? That's, that's in all the legends and all the jokes. That, uh, that's his job, apparently. It's not in the Bible, by the way. <clears throat> but you get to serve without the curse. I want you to have a picture of that. That encourages me, right? I've said to you over and over and over again, heaven is not this ethereal, disembodied you know, space where you just do a sing-along all day, every day. That's not what it is. It is physical. It is in your body. It isn't a new heaven. It isn't a new earth. And sure, you will sing, but you'll also serve. You'll have jobs to do. I like that. I want to stay busy. I want to have things to do, especially if it's without the curse. And I can be happy in my work all day, every day. That's amazing. But I also want you to understand that while that is awesome then, in some respects, now we are having a dress rehearsal. You get that? Don't get the idea that you will serve him then so I can serve me now. That's not how that works. Now, culture will tell you to serve yourself, <laughs> center everything around you, revolve your life around you, serve you. You're the, you are, you're the epicenter of everything. But God goes against that over and over and over again and says, no, one day I will still be the center and you will serve me. And today I, God, am still the center, so serve me today, right? This is exactly what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter number 20, where he says, I want to give you a countercultural piece of instruction to not serve yourself and don't use power and all these things like the world does, but I want you to do it differently. Listen to what he says, verse 25. Jesus called unto them, come here, huddle up. You know the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, right? You know how this, how this power play stuff goes. You know how authority goes in the, mar- in the marketplace and in the university when someone has tenure and in the job, right, there's the org chart. And, you know, people are constantly wanting to throw their, their weight around. They're constantly wanting to take what little authority they have and Barney Fife it and, and go over and above and, and abuse their authority. Not just use their authority, but abuse their authority often. Verse 26, it shall not be so among you. That, that's not for you. Look, my kingdom, my church, my people, uh-uh. That's not the way that this should go. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Right? I want you to be great. And you think about that. That means God has a life for you that is destined for greatness. You say, that sounds like the most self-help book I've ever, I've ever heard in my life. That's the truth. God wants greatness in your life. He wants you to be a person of greatness. You say, how do I do that? Do I like put it in my name, Alexander the Great, and then I'm just great? Do I get lots of authority, lots of money, lots of power? No. The great one among you, let him be your minister. Chief, I'll let him serve. That's what leads to a life of greatness. And if you think that that's, the, that that's crazy, that that's outlandish, that no one thinks that way, listen to what he says, verse 28, and the penny will drop. The light bulb will come on. 
even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, do the exercise with me. Raise of hands, how many of you think Jesus is great? You don't have to raise your hand. Be honest. You think Jesus is great. All right, lock your elbow. Come on, put them up. I'm, it's warm in here. I'm trying to get the blood flowing and keep you awake, all right? You think Jesus is great. You understand that Jesus' greatness is bound up with his service. You can put them down. Thank you. Why is Jesus great? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question. But much of his greatness is bound up with him serving. I didn't come to be ministered unto. I came to minister. I came to give my life a ransom for many. If you don't, if you don't think I'm here to serve, let me demonstrate it for you. Let me give my life. Let me hang on a cross. And let me show you what real greatness looks like. And we say that was great. We should reverence him. We should exalt him. We, he put himself so low, so, so we should put him high. And Jesus says, this is the way. This is my kingdom. This is how it goes. You give of yourself. You humble yourself. You serve and see if that doesn't lead to elevation. See if that doesn't lead to greatness. All through the Bible, you find over and over again this idea, not only that we will serve one day, but that we are supposed to serve now, and that our service now is entirely helpful for us. It's not this twist your arm behind your back, suck it up, you know, there's no benefit, but you just should do it because I said so. You don't find that. You find that Jesus loads serving with side effects that are positive for us and advantages for us that we need to take advantage of. So, for example, you get a relationship advantage when you serve. Your serving can heal relationships in ways that nothing else can. This is exactly what Paul said in Galatians. I'm not going to read these texts to you for sake of time, but I'll paraphrase some of them. Galatians is all about liberty. You're not under the law anymore. The rule book is... Sort of out the window. <laughs> you have liberty. And there were some people that said, all right, I can do whatever I want. I don't got to be nice to you then. And there were a lot of people that ran around making chaos of their relationships and ceasing to be kind and ceasing to love and saying, na 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 boo boo to people. And Paul says, I don't want you to do that. Here's what he says in Galatians. You've been called into liberty but don't use your liberty as an occasion for your flesh. This is, this is not about you indulging what you want to do all the time and just giving into your anger and giving into your lust and giving into your passions. Don't do that. But by, listen to this, by love, serve one another. Let this sink in. By love, I want you to serve one another. I want you to freely choose to move back in their direction and to, and to serve them and to help them and to love them. I don't want your relationships to be at odds with each other. I don't want you to be fighting. I don't want there to be turmoil all the time. I want you to love them and to serve them. Verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Here's what he's saying. If you don't in love serve each other, then you have a strong chance that you're going to bite each other, you're going to devour each other, you are going to consume each other. All negative. You get that? 
all dog-eat-dog. He says, I don't want that for you. I want you to move away from that. I don't want you to power up and to use your authority and to snowplow your way through your relationships. I want you to haul off and serve them. I want you to love them. I want you to put them first. I want you to don't take your liberty and abuse it. And what is he saying? This will help your relationships. And I want to help you. Some of you right now, you're at your wit's end with some relationships. Like you're pulling your hair out with your spouse or with your kids or with your coworker, your neighbor, whoever it is. Try this. Move towards them and love and serve them. You say, I don't want to. I know. <laughs> that's, that's why you're grinding the gears right now. You say, that, that goes against my grain. I know, but it's helpful. Serving will help your relationships. Husbands, love your wives, and as an act of love, try to see them flourish, serve them, and put them first. And wives, if you serve and love and put your husbands first, that's a win-win. When you love your children, you serve your children. When you love your neighbor, you serve your neighbor. Serve them. It gives you a relational advantage. It also gives you a, uh, an advantage for the body of Christ. Serving builds the body. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, all say the same thing. God gives his children gifts, spiritual gifts. Those gifts are very diverse. I won't, I won't even try to list them all. But he gives his children gifts for a reason. And the reason is not for you to enjoy them. The reason is for you to employ them. Like your gifts that he gives to you, some of you have a brain that thinks systematically, you can organize, you can administrate. Some of you have a gift to say encouraging words and they just, they flow out of you so easily. Some of you are so merciful, some of you are so generous. So you have these gifts and that those gifts are not toys to play with, they're tools to build with, to help the body of Christ be healthier, for you to, to go say, hey, I'm gonna serve the Lord through his church, I'm gonna bless other people. You also find that there's an emotional advantage in serving, right? Jesus said in John at the Last Supper, the guy's like, I hate, to, I hate to throw shade on the disciples because I'm just as guilty as they are. But like it never sunk in. He kept teaching them the same lessons over and over and over. And it was like, same song, second verse, God. It's like, he's already told you this. And I love that he, that he continues to teach them because that's the task of parenting so many times. And it's what God has to do with me so many times. But they're at it again, and they're jockeying for position and who's going to be the best. And he's like, come on, man. Like, didn't we already go through this? And he gets down and he gets a towel and he starts to wash their feet and serve them. And he has this whole lesson on how you need to serve each other out of love. And then he tells them, he says, this isn't optional, this is a commandment. And he tells them, if you do these commandments, happy are ye if you do them. This is going to produce happiness in you. This is going to produce joy in you. This, this, and this is this makes sense of life, that the joy that comes from work in general, rather than just sitting around and doing nothing. You, even, even if you're working your muscles, you know that there's, there's joy at the end of that exercise. 
You feel good. There's an emotional advantage rather than just laying around. You know, some of you know, like a mission trip. You've gone a week away from work. You've gone on a mission trip, and you've scratched your head and said, how come I'm like, I'm more tired, but I'm happier coming back from my mission trip than I was when we took that long vacation, you know, to the National Park or to Disney World or wherever it was. Like, I feel more joy right now at the end of this mission trip. How is this possible? Well, you're serving. That's how it's possible. Happy are you. There's an emotional advantage for you when you do that. Timothy tells you that serving gives you an eternal advantage. It gives you eternal rewards. He says that those that actually uh, give monetarily and serve, that they lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. There's an eternal reward on how we live, on how we give, and how we serve other people. Whether you realize it or not, God will one day grade your life on a serve curve. He'll want to know, did you give people water in my name? Did you give them some food in my name? Did you bless them? Did you help them? Did you serve them? You find this, lastly, that there is a, uh, a pride advantage. Like serving is an antidote to pride. Jesus talks about this in Matthew, that when you serve, it's actually abasing yourself. It's humbling yourself. But if you will humble yourself, that he will exalt you. And here's the point. I have kind of one big lesson I'm trying to drive home to you today that has kind of two thoughts. Your future is being happy in your work and serving Jesus. If you know him, that's your future. And that should be your today. You should serve him today. So takeaway would be, first of all, if you don't know Jesus, put your faith in him. He served you by dying on a cross. Like he had you in mind. He had your sin in mind. He had heaven in mind. He wants to forgive you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to, he wants to give you eternal life and a heavenly home. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, he has served you in that way. He has died on a cross for your sins. Put your faith in him. But if you have done that, then serve. So to all the parents and grandparents in the room, I would admonish you. Teach your children and your grandchildren to serve. Like, I, I've got a special joy today just thinking about this and walking through the campus this morning. I saw so many kids here in the auditorium, in the hallways, that were here early because their parents were serving. Like, almost every Sunday when I come in, there is scattered on the front row here, there are the children of the music team. They're doing their mic checks, they're warming up, and they're here way earlier than, than the rest of you are oftentimes, and they're dragging their little children along with them, right? The kids are too little to serve just yet, but they're here and they're observing and they're learning and they're watching, right? And I see the little Waddell kids and the little Grimm kids and the Edwards kids just, just here. Why are they here? Because mom and dad are serving, and they're picking up on it. They're picking up on it. It brought me great joy. I, I jotted it down as I sat there, and I saw uh, Sam and Aaron Smith singing in the choir together, a father and a son. And I saw uh, Dom and Sophia and Rose singing in the choir together. And I saw uh, Rachel and Ada and, and, and family serving together, right? When your kids are young, just bring them along for the service and they can watch. When they get old enough, begin to incorporate them and give them some jobs. Allow them to help. Allow them to be a part. And as a church, we want to help with that, but help your young Young people serve. Now, they're not, they're not going to pick up on it if you don't do it, okay? So let's start there. That means you have to serve, all right? 
And I'm trying to make it as palatable as possible by not just saying this is your future, so live in light of your future, but also saying here are the advantages to it. Have a job. Don't sit on the sidelines. Like, and, and if I understand it's a big place and you could say, well, I don't know how to start. I don't know how to get involved. I, don't, I mean, where, where do I go? Listen, we try to help you all the time. Like, I, I feel a little bit sympathetic for that because it is tougher to get involved in a larger church than it is when a church is very small. But I don't feel overly sympathetic. A, because my spiritual gift isn't mercy. <laughs> B, because we make it, like, really clear. Like, if you think about the last couple weeks, we've announced, Awana's coming. You can sign your kids up. And, oh, by the way, if you would like to serve alongside us, you can go on the website and sign up. Now, maybe you don't do websites, but 99% of you do. Like we just announced today and last week, there's a music open house, 5 o'clock tonight. You can show up. You can serve with us in the choir. Like, I don't know how to make it more bottom shelf than that. Like, we're doing our best to make it bottom shelf, but there are opportunities after opportunities. Next week, if you're like, well, I, you know, I hate kids and I don't sing. Okay, next week, <laughs> I know those are two. We, we got groups and teams Sunday next week, right? We do groups and teams Sunday every four months. Every, every four months we do one of these, and some of you are like, just stop it already. Like, I already heard, I'm already serving. We do it consistently because we're trying to beat the drum that, A, you need to be in a group and you need to have a relationship and community and studying the Bible together and have some people that know you, but B, you need to be on a team. You need to serve. God's designed you for that. You have spiritual gifts to use for the body. So jump on one and jump on one that's natural for you, okay? I tell people this all the time in our Intro to Harvest class. Like, find a job that is, that is in line with your skill set. And we got a lot of them. It's fine. If you're happy, but your face never knows it, then don't be a greeter, okay? If, if you can't smile, then you leave that off. There's a camera to operate. I'm looking at them right now. Stand behind the camera. No one will see your, your scowl, right? We can do that. If you don't like kids, do something else. Mow the lawn. <laughs> there's, a, there's a million things to do. But do something. Jump in. Take dress rehearsal seriously, okay? That's what you're doing right now. What you're doing right now, you will do in a more profound and greater way one day because you will serve him and you'll serve him, listen to this, without the curse. I know you still got the curse. I know, I know you don't have a glorified body and your glorified body runs down and you're like, I'm tired. I know, me too. I know the days can be long and the hours can be long. I know some of you moms, bless your hearts, like you are the perfect people to work with kids because you're so, you're doing it right now. But you're also the worst people to work with kids because you're like, I'm so tired of kids. Just give me a break, you know, and we'll help you. If you need a break, then we'll put you in somewhere that doesn't have kids. But if you don't, jump in. There's so many ways. The point of today is this. Your future is serving. So don't serve yourself today. Serve him. Find something. Get involved. Next week, we're going we're gonna to focus on this idea that we will see his face. And I want to mention it today for just this reason. 
Do not make the mistake of thinking that you can serve, 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 work, 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 but you can have no relationship and no face-to-face and no personal connection, and that will work out well. You need both, okay? We want to serve, but we also want to love him, and and we get to talk about that next week of knowing God and seeing him face-to-face. And those two dovetail in such beautiful ways. But for today, let's leave it here. Let's serve him.